Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, I'm going to invite up Eric Johnson, who is preaching today, the one, the only, the best dressed uh, for sure. Um, anyways, I've got like really, I have no transitions coming. So there you go. Eric Johnson, everybody. Great. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. I'm so relieved because Josh and Corey have preached my entire message. So good night and God bless you. <laughs> um, but I, I will share a little something. But before we do that, um, uh, everything that, that Morris Sicily shared about uh, this first and second week of Advent was so important. And so um, before I give you a message of peace, let's talk a little bit about hope. So uh, click the uh, conversation time uh, button. We're going to send you into your groups. And let's talk about this. Can you name a time that someone gave you hope. Enjoy. I'll see you in a minute. Hey, welcome back. I hope that your conversation time was filled you and filled others with hope uh, because that's the thing that we need to hold on to. The, the scriptures say that hope is the anchor of our soul and with all that we're facing in our world today, hope is the one thing that we need to hold on to. And in sharing all of that, uh, let's talk a little bit about, about the message of hope. All right, so I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 from the uh, New International Version, and it reads as follows. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was reading this passage and the other uh, passages that went along with this for the second week of Advent, um, a lot of it was confessing sins, repentance, and judgment. And after, like, reading the, the, the fourth passage of scriptures, I kind of just went, blah, blah. ooh, that's just really heavy. That doesn't seem to bring a lot of hope and a lot of joy. So what is really being talked about? And in order to completely understand that, we need to go back to like some definitions of what these words mean. We need to reclaim uh, 
that the message is not about judging you and beating you down and what you're not doing right, but it's probably about something else. So the first term I want to talk about is uh, this whole thing about sin and sinners. Now, the artist formerly known as Sissy, uh, Moira Sicily, has done a tremendous job of talking about what sin is. If you go back into the series about Psalms, that part three, she does an amazing job of talking about what it is and shares what uh, Dave Rogers um, gave as a definition, that it is to choose other than love is sin. Choosing other than love is sin. But I want to read, uh, in addition to that, I want to read another definition from uh, Father Richard Rohr in the book, The Naked Now, and it reads this. The word signifies not moral inferiors so much as people who do not know who they are and whose they are. People who have not connection to their inherent dignity and importance. They have to struggle for it by all kinds of futile performances. What a waste. Thus, do not hate sinners, quote unquote, or look down on them. Feel sorry for what they are missing out on. When I, when I read that, um, when I hear what Josh just shared, uh, when I look at my own life, so much of my life as a Christian was performance. Trying to uh, uh, either look down on others because of what I thought was my moral superiority or avoiding even coming to church and avoiding others because of what I thought was my moral inferiority. And that is not what it's all about. What it's all about is missing this message of love. If we are not living and choosing love, if we're not receiving the message that we are made in the likeness and image of God and that you are worthy of love, then how we live our life will be performance. How we live our life will miss the mark. And that is the sin. So with that in mind, let's read this passage again from the Message Bible. And this is how it reads. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message, begins here, following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Watch closely. I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert. Prepare God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wild, preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit, tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild field honey. As he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. This is what we've been talking about week after week, that it's not about changing the exterior. 
It's changing you from the inside out. This is the message. This is, this is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that we read from Genesis to Revelation. This is the good news that God lives within us. And he is bringing life change to us from the inside out. There's another part of this. So as we, when we read this passage again, we, and we read about John the Baptist, that he is this messenger that has been sent to prepare the way. He's been sent to clear the way, to clear your misconceptions, to clear the things that are going to cause you to miss the message that's coming and the messenger that's coming. And so he, he, he comes into Jerusalem and Judea. He preaches this message that opens your eyes to a new truth. The other part about, about John the Baptist is, unlike anybody else in the New Testament, two of the gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, take great attention to the fact of John had a kind of different way of dressing and a different way of eating. You don't read in any of the Gospels about what really what Jesus ate. Then there was no big deal about his diet or any of the disciples, what they ate or the clothes that they wore. But John, there's particular attention to the fact that he ate locusts and wild honey and that he dressed with this camel-haired uh, outfit with a leather belt. All that to say is that John was just a little different. John had these unusual things about him. And that's the thing about the messengers that come into our lives, that sometimes just to get our attention so that we can see this truth and pave the way into what we need to know, they're going to be a little bit different. They're going to be a little bit odd. And sometimes maybe the people who brought you hope when you were sharing um, in, your, in your groups, that, that there was something about them that got your attention. I can think of no better movie to bring this to life than my all-time favorite movie. And I, I love films. If you ever come by to, to visit our place, there are, I, there are tons of DVDs and Blu-rays. I'm, I'm a pop culture geek. I love movies. But my favorite movie of all time is the 1946 classic directed and written by Frank Capra, It's a Wonderful Life. What a beautiful movie. Uh, I love this for so many reasons. Um, it was, uh, it, it, it came out right after World War II, and it was a box office flop. It wasn't packing people out in the theaters. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor for Jimmy Stewart. Uh, didn't win a single Academy Award. And then it just kind of faded away into obscurity until the, the rights became available for it, and it was shown in syndication, and it took on this whole new life, and now it's this beloved classic. And, spoiler alert, I'm going to say a lot about this movie, but in my defense, you've had 74 years to watch it. <laughs> so, here we go. The story of, of, and here's this other thing that I just love. I'm, I'm a screenwriter. I, I, I love writing scripts, and one of the things that we learned in, in Screenwriting is that whatever your movie is about, the audience has to figure out what it's about within the first 20 minutes of the film. But not It's a Wonderful Life. 
It's a Wonderful Life. You are so fascinated by George Bailey's life, played by Jimmy Stewart. You're so fascinated by it that you really don't realize what this movie is all about until you're two-thirds of the way in. And I, anybody else, how many times have you seen this movie and cried? I bawl. I, I just watched a little bit of it this morning, and already I was bawling. I bawl every time little George Bailey is, is trying to stop Mr. Gower from uh, 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 delivering poison instead of medicine. And uh, when little George comes back in and Gower is, is upset and, and he's been drunk because uh, his son has died and so he doesn't realize that he didn't put medicine in the bottle, he put poison in the bottle and he starts slapping George. And I just immediately begin bawling because George is crying out, Mr. Gower, you did something terrible. You put poison. I'm telling you, it's poison that's in that bottle. And when you see Gower taste it and he realizes that it's poison, and George goes, don't slap me in my, in my sore ear. And you just start bawling. And then all the ways that George, throughout his life, from the time that he was a kid, all the way to he's an, a married adult, how he has never escaped Bedford Falls. He wanted to go and see the world. He wanted to discover the world. He wanted to travel. But he ends up still in Bedford Falls. And just before we play this scene, what's happened is that he's had to take over the savings and loan uh, after his father died. He never gets to leave. Uh, nothing seems to be going right for George. And his uncle Billy has lost $8,000 in the bank examiners there. And if there's no way to recover this money, and if there's no way to explain how this happened, George is going to go to jail. He comes home. He completely loses it in front of his children and his wife. He doesn't see any hope, and that brings us to this scene. See, I'm already a hot mess. <laughs> a, little, a little historical background about that scene and about the movie. Um, when Jimmy Stewart came back from the war, I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he experienced. But he didn't believe that he would ever be able to act again. And when he was cast by Frank Capra to, to do this role, he didn't feel like he, he had the gift anymore. He didn't feel like he had the chops to to do what was required to carry this film. And believe it or not, it was Lionel Barrymore who played the evil Mr. Potter, was the one that, that went to Jimmy Stewart and said, you've got to play this role. 
You are a gifted actor. I know you can do this. I know you have it in you. I know you have the stuff. And so what you just saw right there, that particular scene, the reason why it's so quiet and why the, the, the camera angles in so close on it is because it was a rehearsal. They were going over this over the scene and, in, and just doing the rehearsal and just like doing some, uh, uh, some B-roll footage to just see how it was going to go. And Jimmy Stewart put everything into, into that, that part right there. All of his desperation, all of it, he put it into that scene right there. And then when they called cut, Frank Capra said, that's great, let's do it again. And Jimmy said, I don't think I have it to do that again. So they had to uh, find a way to edit that rehearsal shot in. But how have we all been touched? How many of you have felt, how many of you have been there? Because God knows how many times I've been there. How many times where I thought that there was no way out and all I could say was, God, show me the way. Show me the way. And so in this scene, right after this happens, George Bailey meets Clarence Oddbody. What a name. He's a, he's a goofy-looking guy. He really is. He, is. he is an oddbody. His fellow angels say that he, he has childlike faith, but the IQ of a rabbit. Isn't that cruel? But, and, and this is the messenger that God sends to George Bailey to help him see what he could not see. The thing about Clarence Oddbody is that he doesn't have his wings. He is not perfect. He's flawed. He, he has needs just like anyone else. Like I said, the angel said that he had the IQ of a rabbit. He's not perfect but he's the perfect person to bring the message that George Bailey needs. And what is that message? What is it that, for everyone who has seen this movie, what is it that George needs to see? Because for all of his life, George has viewed his life as one failure after another. And what Clarence comes into his life and does, what transforms him to help and helps him see is that his life is not a failure. He helps him see what the world would look like if he had never been born. And it is through this experience that George overgoes, undergoes a transformation from the inside out. And he realizes that in spite of all the terrible things that he has experienced, that his life is not a failure. And the last words that you see, the message from Clarence is this that no man is a failure who has friends. Why does this movie touch us so deeply? Why do I cry every time I see it? Because all of us have experienced this. All of us have gone through these painful situations where we thought life was over. All of us were at the end of our rope at one time or another, and God sent to us the messenger. And God continues to, over and over again in our lives, bring us messengers. And, and bear this in mind, because the messenger is not necessarily perfect, and I, I can speak for myself, that there are times in my life where that messenger has come, and because of what I perceive as their flaws, I don't listen to the message. And then God brings me another messenger. And then God will bring me another messenger until I can finally come to my senses and hear this message. I, let me share a couple in my own life. I, I, 
moved out of the house because of, of all that I had experienced and all I dealt with in terms of abuse. I, I was finally out of the house. And I ended up getting a speeding ticket. And in order to make up that ticket, I had to do the unbearable eight hours of traffic school on a Saturday. So there I am. I, I, I can't get out of it. I've got to be there. And God sends me the messenger. The instructor of the traffic school program was an African-American sheriff who was the same height as my dad, an African-American just like my dad. And he be, as he began to try to start doing this eight-hour class, he started to have a breakdown right in front of all of us. He started talking about how when he signed up to become a sheriff, when he signed up to become a law enforcement officer, that he wanted to make a difference in people's lives, that, that he, wanted, he wanted to be the hero. He wanted to be the person that would, would stop the evils of this, of this world. But he said 80% of the time when he was brought out on a call, it was for a domestic dispute. And all he saw was violence in the home after violence in the home after violence in the home. And he didn't have the tools to deal with it. And so every time that he came home, he would take his frustration out on his family. And he said that sometimes my anger would be so uncontrollable that I would choke my daughter. And I have no relationship with my daughter now because of my out-of-control violence. And he broke down in front of me, and I began bawling because what I saw was my father. I saw through this messenger, I saw what I never was allowed to see before, my father's humanity, my father's brokenness. For so many times, God had sent other messengers into my life who kept telling me, Eric, you need to forgive your father so that you can move forward. And it was, why do I have to forgive? Why doesn't he change? And the simple answer is because you're the one who's listening, and he isn't. It's never about the external. It's always about internal change. And so when this happened, I went back to my mother and I said, Mom, this is the experience that I just had. Is this what, what changed my father? And she said, yes. And because, because of that, I was able to see his brokenness, and I started as Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so I would walk up to my father whenever I saw him with my arms open wide, and I would give him the biggest hug. And the first few times, he would just stand there like I was covered in snot. But eventually, when we would greet each other, he looked for that hug. He needed that hug. And something tremendous happened. I was receiving messages, and then I was being transformed, and now I was becoming the messenger for my father. It was a 40-year process, but it ended with my father receiving the message. It ended with my father finally seeing that whatever he had done in the past, that he was still loved, loved by me and loved by God. I'll tell you one more. Back in 2007, at the church that I was at, um, um, I, 
27 years at one church, 19 years in full-time ministry, and it all came to an end through the moral failure of the senior pastor. It killed the church. And it was devastating because of because of so much of it was about this man's prosperous lifestyle. Um, I was barely making any money to begin with. Um, and when this died, we had nothing. We had no car. We were living in affordable housing. Um, and the only job that was available to me was a minimum wage, part-time job at Pasadena City College. And I thought, this is the end. That prayer that George Bailey prays, that was my prayer. Because I told God, I'm in free fall. I'm not holding on by a thin branch. I am in free fall. And God, if you don't catch me, I don't know where I'm going to land. My, my daughter is a senior in high school, and I, I, where am I going to get the money for her prom? She deserves to have a prom. She deserves to have this graduation. She deserves to have these things, and I don't even know where we're going to get rent. I don't know where our next meal is going to come from. I said, which has been my prayer ever since then. God, before you change my situation, help me see what needs to change in me. And God would send messengers into my life. Messengers that let me know that I was loved, that this wasn't God forsaking me, that God was with me, that God was in me. And in particular, the, the story of Joseph. That here's Joseph, the 17-year-old, just like me, a 17-year-old called into ministry Joseph is a 17-year-old who's been given a, a dream of what he's going to become. And he is betrayed by his, uh, by his family, sold into slavery, and then falsely accused of rape, and then, uh, and then left in prison until he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh gives him a wife, and he has two children. And for the first time in my life, as many times as I, as I read Joseph's story, I never paid attention to this one little detail, is that when Joseph names his sons, it says, and, and you can read this in Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, when Joseph names his sons, it tells you what those names mean. His firstborn was Manasseh, and Manasseh means that God has caused me to forget the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering that I've endured from my father's house to now. And then his second son's name was Ephraim. And Ephraim means that God has caused me to prosper in the land of my suffering. And I began to bawl because I said, God, I don't know what that is. I don't know what you did for Joseph that overwhelmed him in such a way that every time he says the names of his sons, he's talking about the goodness of God. But whatever that is, would you overwhelm me in that same way? And that's what happened to me. First, it was a change from the inside, but it changed my circumstances on the outside. And here I am today, the man with no college degree, overseeing summer schools, 
creating systems for, our, for educational equity and justice. This is not a one-time thing. This is always happening in our lives. Over and over and over again, God is bringing us messengers to bring that internal change so that we can then be the messenger for somebody else. This was the thing that at the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and I don't have the verse up there, but uh, just for a moment, Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for my harm, God has turned it to my good for the saving of many. And this is the important part of the, of the message. This is the important part of what I'm sharing to you today is that it's time, yes, you're getting everything that you need. You're receiving everything that you need for internal change, but it's not just for you. It's for you and somebody else. There are people that need you to be the messenger. It's time for you to be the messenger. And so we will constantly go in our lives in this, in this cycle of receiving and then giving out. Like it, uh, and if you'd put this last verse up, Luke 22, this is what Jesus says to Peter before Peter ever betrays Christ. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. We will always be wounded healers. We will always go through the process of scales falling from our eyes. God will constantly bring messengers into our lives, and then we are to turn around and, and be messengers for somebody else. And at the same time we're receiving, it's the same time that we're giving out. This is what Josh was just sharing with us, that yes, in the midst of, of him recovering, he is still being a messenger. We are all called to be messengers. And this is the message today, for you to be the messenger. We, there, right now, I've been given an opportunity with the school district that there are LGBTQ students that are looking for a mentor. They're in group homes, and they're in need of someone to come alongside them, someone who understands their pain. We have these opportunities that are coming, and this is what I invite you into because this is the life, and it's a wonderful life. And so with that, let's go back into our conversations and answer this question. What will you do to be a messenger for someone else? God bless you. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.